That's better. Thank you. So today is the 23rd of March, 2019, in Melbourne, Australia, and we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 21, Instructions by Maharaj Prithu, Text 30. Dohitra din retain ritjo. So chandarma vimohitam. Tohitra Adin. Grandsons like my father, Vena. Rute. Except. Nutyaho. A personified death. Sochan. Abominable. Dharma Vimokitam. Bewildered on the path of religion. Varga. Religion, economic development, sense gratification, and liberation. Swarga, elevation to the heavenly planets. Apavarganam, being free from material contamination. Kayena, almost always. Eka, one. Atmya, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Etuna, on account of. Okay, so who can remember what yesterday's verse was about because it's sort of related to today's verse? How was yesterday without looking? What was that without looking? What was yesterday's verse about? Supreme Personality of God who carries the club in his hand, and how do we know that? Yes, so because great personalities like Prahlad, who else says that there's God? Druva, who else? Bali, who else? Well, Pritchu, yes, he's talking. <laughs> but he's referring to authorities. Who else? Kapilan. Somebody else. Who else? Brahma. Yes, So somebody asked the question yesterday. Who was it about? What about the atheists? Who asked that? Somebody asked that yesterday. That the atheists also have logic and authority? Who asked that question yesterday? It's not here today. All right, so that question may legitimately be raised. Well, okay, on the basis of logic, because two verses ago, Prithimaraj used logic, right? What was his logic two verses ago? Yes, different people have different results in terms of beauty and power. So... He gave a logical argument, and then he quoted authority. And so, somebody here yesterday said, "Well, someone can else, someone else can use logic and authority to say that there's no God." So today, Prithu Maharaj is dealing with that question. I'm sorry that devotee's not here today. Prithu is answering his question today. He may be online, so 
Hare Krishna, if you're online, Krishna is answering your question today. Better than I answered it yesterday. So Prabhupada's translation, Krishna is speaking. Although abominable persons like my father, Vena, the grandson of death personified, are bewildered on the path of religion, all the great personalities like those mentioned agree that in this world, the only bestower of the benedictions of religion, economic development, sense gratification, liberation, or elevation to the heavenly planets is the Supreme Personality of God. So he's giving an example of an atheist who's... So who's the example of an atheist that Prichamarsh is giving? King Vena. And Vena was the grandson of who? Death personified. So my understanding of that, that, he's the, that his mother's father was death personified, is not that his, that his grandfather was Yamaraj, because often when we say death personified, we mean Yamaraja, but rather that his grandfather was a very cruel man. King Vena, the father of Prithu Maharaja, was condemned by the Brahmanas and saintly persons because of his denying the existence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and rejecting the method of satisfying him, satisfying him by performance of Vedic sacrifices. So what were the two reasons that Vena was condemned? I'll read it again. King Vena, the father of Prithu Maharaj, was condemned by the Brahmanas and saintly persons because of his denying the existence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and rejecting the method of satisfying him by performance of Vedic sacrifice. So why was he condemned? Yes? Yes, he said there's no God. And? He didn't allow sacrifice. If there's no God, why should you please him? If there's no government, why should you pay your taxes, right? If there's no electric company, why should you pay your bill? Right? Logical. In other words, he was an atheist who did not believe in the existence of God and who consequently stopped all Vedic ritualistic ceremonies in his kingdom. Krishna Maharaj considered King Vena's character abominable because Vena was foolish regarding the execution of religious performances. Atheists are of the opinion that there is no need to accept the, the authority of the Supreme Personality of Godhead to be successful in religion, economic development, sense gratification, or liberation. And here are the Sanskrit words for these. Religion is dharma. And artha, economic development, comma, sense gratification, moksha, liberation. Now, what does artha literally mean? What's the literal meaning of artha? Value. Something useful, something you would like. And dharma is a funny word, huh? What does dharma mean? Difficult word to define. The intrinsic nature of something. Yes. But in an ordinary sense, dharma refers to some sort of religion. 
According to them, oh, who's them? The atheists. According to them, dharma, or religious principles, are meant to establish an imaginary God to encourage one to become moral, honest, and just so that the social orders may be maintained in peace and tranquility. That's a very, very important sentence for 2019. How many of you live in 2019? Okay, this is a really important sentence for you. Any of you who are time travelers, you can ignore this sentence. So it says here, according to them, who's them again? The atheists. Dharma or religious principles are meant to establish an imaginary God to encourage one to become moral, honest, and just so that the social orders may be maintained in peace and tranquility. So what do the atheists right now, at this time, what are they saying is the only purpose of religion? And they are saying this. What are they saying? That's the part of the Huh? That's the part of the it's for the masses, so they'll do what? Live they'll live peacefully. They'll be what? Okay, but that's a little bit of an extrapolation of what Robert's saying here. What is, what is Robert saying here? They'll be very what? Become moral and honest. They'll be moral and honest. Well, social workers mean... Uh, how people are behaving in society. So, do atheists want people to be moral and honest? Generally. Maybe not themselves, but they want at least everybody else to be moral and honest. So, generally, atheists also want people to be moral and honest. And they say, sure, religion is great, because by religion you will be moral and honest. Even though your God is just, what's the word Robin uses here? Imaginary. It's just some leftover primitive idea. You know, we've evolved past that. Now we know that God was some, you know, chunk at the beginning of the universe. And the priests are the scientists and the medical doctors. So, you know, we don't really need this imaginary God. But most people need an imaginary God because otherwise they won't be moral and honest. And why would worshipping this imaginary God make them moral and honest? <coughs> why would worshipping an imaginary God make people moral and honest? Well, their faith in God, but why does their faith in God make them moral and honest? Because they're afraid of what? They're afraid of being punished, and? Losing what they have. Losing what they have, being punished, and? Enticed by the rewards. Huh? Enticed by the rewards. Enticed by the rewards, which are? Heavenly planets. Yes, that was mentioned in the verse. Yes, Swarga? So, why are most people religious? I don't care whether they're Hindus, Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Jews, whatever. Sikhs, why are they religious? They want to get their share of pleasure every day. They want to get their share of pleasure every day. And they want to go to? They want to go to heaven and they don't want to go to? Hell. 
That's why most people are religious. Most people are looking for Dharma, Arta, Kama, Moksha, and Swarga. Or Moksha or Swarga. Isn't this true? Yes. Now I'm going to ask a very heavy question. And I'd like everybody, even the kids, to see if you can be honest with yourself about this question. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hand or to say anything. Why are you in Krishna consciousness? Why have you taken up Krishna consciousness? What are you trying to achieve? I actually don't want you to say your answers. I just want you to think about it. Are we simply trying to go to the best heaven? Now, Goloka Vrindavan is a much nicer description of heaven than any other description of heaven I've ever read. Most descriptions of heaven are pretty paltry and actually not very attractive. I'm not really attracted to going to some clouds. You can see this in some of the Indian movies, right? Vishnu's just like in the clouds. Why would I want to? I go in the clouds all the time in an airplane. You know, it's not particularly exciting. So just to go in the clouds and somebody singing Gloria, Gloria, Hallelujah. It's just, you know, when we were talking yesterday, I've actually seen this picture in a Christian tract of God. He's huge with no face, wearing a business suit. And he's got this big screen where people see their life. I don't know if I'd want to watch that screen. Would you all want to watch that screen? Everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done. Ah. And so it's on this big screen and God and the angels are watching. All right, heaven, hell, heaven. It's all God's doing all day. So, you know, this is... I mean, compared to that, our descriptions of Goloka, our descriptions of Vaikuntha are very attractive. So maybe we just want to go to the best of them. And maybe we're afraid of taking birth, you know, again. Maybe we don't want to take birth again. We usually sing that on our happy birthday songs, right? Our, our Hare Krishna happy birthday songs. May you never take birth again. May you never take birth again. So maybe that's what we're thinking. I want to take birth again. Actually, just one class where I was like, do not take your birth again and again in this Kali Yuga. Or we don't want to become animals. Or we just want freedom from distress. Well, why are we really here? And maybe we're here even because we're hoping that if we're nice devotees, we'll get better Dharma, Arta, and Kama in this life. I mean, I've, as you can imagine, I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of devotees who were born and raised in the Hare Krishna movement. That was my service for so many years. And many of them told me that they grew up with the idea that if they just, you know, follow Krishna consciousness, that they'd have a blessed life, materially speaking. So think about what, what, is, what is driving us. Why did we come to Krishna consciousness? And more importantly, why do we stay in Krishna consciousness? If we chant 16 rounds every day or whatever, 4 rounds or 20 rounds or whatever we chant every day, why are we doing that? To know the purpose of life. To know the purpose of life. Uh, so, you know, we have, we, we, and I, I told you not to say it. Otherwise I'll criticize you, but that won't be very good. Then I'd have to tell you why I'm here, and then I'd have to start criticizing myself, and it would be terribly embarrassing. <laughs> 
So this is something that we should introspect about. What am I doing? Now generally, when we come to Krishna consciousness, we come for one of four reasons, yeah? Generally. We come because we want artha. We're hoping, you know, for some material prosperity. Who's the epitome of that? Dhruva. Or we come because we want to get free from distress. Who epitomizes that? Gajendra. Or we come because we're curious. Hmm? No. There are no lists, but you jumped to the next one. It was the right answer to the wrong question. So who can who's curious? The sages of Navasharanya. And who who uh, some people come because they're already Brahman realized and they want to go further. So who's that? The four Kumars. I haven't met very many members of this con who already Brahman realized before they came and wanted to go further. I have met some. I have met some people who were, you know actually accomplished in some other kind of yoga and it was were already Brahman realized and came to Krishna consciousness to go forward. But maybe five people I know like that. Most people are in the other categories. We wanted some happiness up to Swarga. We wanted freedom of distress up to Moksha. You know, or we were curious, we wanted knowledge. Or some combination of those. I mean for myself it was a combination of wanting knowledge and freedom from distress. So generally we, we come for one of those motives or some combination of those motives, but after some time we should be here for another purpose. Our, what's driving us should change. And we should be extremely, 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 extremely careful about preaching that the purpose of religion is for morality. There was a lecture I heard Prabhupada give on this topic, and he was very critical of people who say that you have to worship God to be moral. He said, this is not a valid reason for worshiping God. Now, as an educator, I run all the time into values education. And it's something that devotees also push. We just had a big educational symposium in Mayapodam, and our Minister of Education, Seishikuru, made the point that we have to be very careful if we're teaching values education that we don't fall into something mundane. Generally, when people are pushing values and morality, what mode of nature is that in? This is a trick question. No. Passion. Generally in the mode of passion. Passion is very much about doing dharma to get artha and kama. And most people want to be moral and ethical so they can enjoy the world nicely. So the atheists say you don't need God to be moral and ethical, but if you're really primitive, all right, for you, you might need God. So the atheists tolerate religion in society. Most of the governments of the world today are secular. 
and most people running the world today are more or less atheistic. Most of the educators, most of the government workers, they're atheistic. Or they believe in God in a very minimalistic kind of way. Yes, I believe in God and I go to some place of worship just so people will vote for me. But they encourage religion in society for this reason. So why did I say this is very important for us in 2019? Because we can get pulled into this atheistic agenda that the purpose of religion is to be moral and honest. I'd like you to think about the, the implications of that for a moment. So those of you here who are married, is one purpose of marriage to keep people moral? Is that one of the purposes of marriage? Is it? This is a very easy question. Should be. It? Should be. But if your spouse says to you, the reason I am married to you is so I will be moral, would that make you feel happy? So think about that for a minute. But is one of the primary reasons of marriage so people will be moral? Isn't it? Yes? 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 This is, this is not a difficult question. Yes. If people don't get married, are they generally immoral? Yes. Yes? No? Some of you don't know? You're in a state of shock. You have no idea that marriage helped morality? Some of you are just like... But again, if you go to your husband, you go to your wife, you know, the, the main reason I'm with you is otherwise I would be immoral. God, I thought you loved me. So, it, you know, if our main reason, if the reason we're pushing that people should be religious is so they'll be moral, how do you think Krishna feels? Disappointed. Very disappointed. He's like, I thought you loved me. No, I'm just hanging around with you because otherwise, you know, I would just be complete rubbish nonsense. I have, to be, I have to be afraid of your punishing me or I have to be induced by the rewards you're going to give me. Otherwise, I would just be all nonsense. Furthermore, they say that... Who's they again? Furthermore, they say that actually there's no need to accept God for this purpose. Which purpose? For if one follows the principles of morality and honesty, that is sufficient. Most values education is happening in schools. Is there anything theistic about it? Is there anything theistic about it? No. So the atheists are saying, all right, all right, you want to be primitive, worship God for your morality and honesty. Sure, sure, go ahead. If you need that. You know, if, if you need that, if you need to have some imagination about heaven and hell, and you know, fine, we'll, we'll allow it. But you don't really need it. Come on, we have our values education, we can teach you how to be moral and honest, but without any reference to God. Similarly, if one makes nice plans and works very hard for economic development, automatically the result of economic development will come. 
Is Prabhupada saying this as a statement of truth? Okay, what's the context of this statement? Similarly, if one makes nice plans and works very hard for economic development, automatically the result of economic development will come. That's what the atheists think. Thank you. Okay. Now I want somebody to remember this. I want somebody here to remember this. Someone who has nice handwriting. So if you have nice handwriting and you're willing to get up in front of everybody, and you can remember this, I'm going to ask you to write this on the flip chart. And if there's no volunteer, I'll get up and do it myself. But then I have to carry this thing around. Similarly, sense gratification also does not depend on the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. For if one earns enough money by any process, one will have sufficient opportunity for sense gratification. Is Papa making this as a statement of truth? Yes. Yes. Similarly, sense gratification also does not depend on the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, for if one earns enough money by any process, one will have sufficient opportunity for sense gratification. Is Prabhupada making this as a statement of truth? Yes. Okay, somebody says yes. Anybody want to say no? Want to say no. What is Prabhupada making this as a statement of? It's what the atheists say. We have to be very, very careful when quoting Shastra and Srila Prabhupada. This is a big project that I'm working on, chairing actually, called hermeneutics, how to understand the statements of Guru Sadhu Shastra. So you could take these sentences and well, Prabhupada says this. But the context is he's saying, because he doesn't say it in this sentence. You have to look at the paragraph. Okay. Insofar as liberation is concerned, they say, so now he's saying they say, but he didn't for the last two sentences. Insofar as liberation is concerned, they say there is no need to talk of liberation because after death everything is finished. Okay, any volunteer to write on the flip chart what the atheists say about Dharma art to comment moksha? See if you can do it without looking at your phone. That's too risky with a flip chart. If it was a board, we had to do that. Okay, maybe some people can help you. So what do the atheists say about dharma, honesty, or morality? You don't need religion to be more honest. Okay, you don't need religion, but... If it helps you to be moral, it's okay. So don't need God, but you can have him if you want him. Okay, what do the atheists say about arta, about getting useful things? Getting money, getting things of value. Not just money, you know, nice furniture, nice cars. If you work hard, not only work hard, but there was one other thing. Make plans, you have to make plans. You have to not just work hard, you have to make plans. Anyone have any idea how many books, courses, Videos there are about how to make plans to become rich. Not just how to work hard, but how to make plans. How many do you think there are? Thousands. Thousands. This can be another one of your homework, home fund assignments. Do a little search. How many courses are there? How to make plans that work. 
so that you'll become rich and successful. And then how to work hard. Are there also many courses and books about how to work hard, how to work more efficiently and effectively? Right? You know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, start doing the most important work of the day. Yes? There's one very famous book you're going to love called Eat That Frog. And what the book is about is you, you take, if you really want to be rich and successful in life, you take the part of your work that you like the least, the frogs, and you do them first. You eat your frogs first. First, you know, early in the morning. Imagine early in the morning, said Jenny Hare Krishna, if you have to eat a frog. Okay. And what do they say about sense gratification? What do the atheists say about sense gratification? How will you satisfy your senses? If you have enough money. Is this what we were taught in school? Unless you went to a hard Christian school. Is this what we were taught in school? I was taught this in school. Okay, so just make enough money. Your writing's so small they won't be able to see you. Everybody's going to have to come up after class with a magnifying glass. Okay, what about for, just for comma, you can just say money, get enough money. Get enough money. No, I said to comma, 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 you're in Arta. Go to comma. There you go. He's so detached, you know, it's like, comma, I'm just interested in prema. He's not even aware of comma anymore. Such a great soul. <laughs> okay, and what if get enough money? All right, and what about moksha? It's irrelevant. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. Prithimaraj, however, did not accept the authority of such atheists headed by his father, who was the grandson of death personified. Generally, a daughter inherits the qualities of her father, and a son gets the qualities of his mother. Notice the problem says generally. It's, it's not an absolute thing. It's not that if you have a bad wife, that all your sons are spoiled, or if you have a bad husband, all your daughters are spoiled. It's not, it's not necessarily true. <laughs> but uh, it's a problem giving as a general principle. Actually, in 1975, when uh, Prabhupada gave me Gayatri initiation and my father also became a life member, my father gave his life membership check directly to Prabhupada, which sounds really nice, but it ended up being a big problem for my father. Because life membership, you get a full copy of all Prabhupada's books and a lifetime subscription to Back to Godhead. Because he gave the check directly to Srila Prabhupada, no temple took responsibility to get him his life membership benefits. They said, well, we didn't get the money. So it was it took us about a year or so to make sure that my father got all the all the benefits. Yeah, my youngest son now has that full set of books that my father eventually got. But anyway, so when we were meeting with Prabhupada then, when we were offering obeisances to leave the room, Prabhupada said, good father, good daughter. Maybe very 
Generally, a daughter inherits the qualities of her father and a son gets the qualities of his mother. Thus, Mitu's daughter, Sunita, got all the qualities of her father and Vena inherited the qualities of his mother. So, although he had a good father, Anga, his mother wasn't a very nice person. Actually, it's very interesting because uh, Anga wasn't able to have a child naturally. He had to go to a, a Vedic fertility clinic, which in those days was a yagya, and they would produce this payasa that the, the wife would take, and then she was able to get pregnant from her husband. And it was said that Anga was not very discriminating because he gave his wife this payasa, even though she wasn't a very nice lady that her father was a very cruel man, and she was also a very cruel person. But still, he decided that he was going to have a child with her, and so this child that she produced was, was actually like a sociopath or a psychopath. And he would, he would kill his friends. You know, he'd play with his friends and throw them in the river and drown them when he was a little boy, so he was, he was a really disturbed person. A person who is always subjected to the rules and regulations of repeated birth and death cannot accommodate anything beyond materialistic ideas. Now this is a very interesting sentence. A person who is always subjected to the rules and regulations of repeated birth and death cannot accommodate anything beyond materialistic ideals. So Prabhupada's saying here, why couldn't Vena understand anything besides materialism? Because he was under the control of of the three modes of nature, and the control of Maya. And so his, his intelligence was covered. He wasn't able to see anything beyond just materialistic causes and effect. Since King Vena was such a man, he did not believe in the existence of God. Modern civilization agrees with the principles of King Vena. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, overall, it's, it's a fact. I mean, you do have religious people, who we'll talk about in a moment, who present something else. But generally, if you grow up in modern civilization, almost anywhere in the world, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're in India. It doesn't matter if you're in America. It doesn't matter if you're in Australia or wherever, or China or Russia or France or, you know, Uganda. You're going to be inculcated with these ideas. Right? Sure, religion is okay. We tolerate it. But, you know, you can learn values without religion. If you make the proper plans and you work hard, you'll get valuable things in life. You'll get money, you'll get a nice house, you'll get a nice car, you'll get status in society. And if you have all of those things, you'll get sense gratification. You'll attract uh, favorable members of the opposite sex to satisfy your senses. You'll have very nice food. You'll have very nice clothes. Right? as long as you have enough money, as long as you have enough status. And don't worry about liberation, because after death, everything's finished. This life is all, is all in all. There's, there's nothing else. You know, the only kind of liberation they talk about is like some sort of political liberation or social liberation. To be liberated from, you know, communism, or to be liberated from the patriarchy or something like that. Modern civilization agrees with the principles of King Vena, but factually, if we scrutinize and we study all the conditions of religion, economic development, and sense gratification, we must accept the principles of the authority of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. 
According to Vedic literature, religion consists only of the codes of law given by God. Okay, someone else who can write well and is willing to get up? Okay. So what did Prabhupada say here? We're going to have to do it a little at a time this time. What did Prabhupada say here is dharma according to the Vedas and religionists. We just read it. Codes of law given by God. So codes of law given by God. If one does not accept the authority of the Supreme Personality of Godhead in matters of religion and morality, one must explain why two persons of the same moral standard achieve different results. It is generally found that even if two men have the same moral standards of ethics, honesty, and morality, their positions are still not the same. Isn't this our experience? You see, person A and person B has exactly the same standards of ethics exactly the same, close to the same standards of morality, do they both get the same standards of enjoyment? Okay, so we could say equal morality does not give equal results. Similarly, in economic development, it is seen that if two men work very hard day and night, still the results are not the same. One person may enjoy great opulence without even working. Do we know people like this? Some people are born into wealth. What? Well, Amrish actually works quite hard. But like, I have one of my former Gurukul students, married a man whose family has an import business. And he doesn't have to work. He gets a percentage of the money from the business. And he's never had to work. They have a, a big, beautiful house. They travel the world and they spend all of their time doing kirtan and preaching. That's what they do 100% of the time, kirtan and preaching. Because he doesn't have to work. Right? Doesn't Krishna say that if you are made some advancement in yoga, you can take that kind of a birth? Well, you're very rich, you don't have to work. So, I mean, I know some people like that. They get some money, or I know people who get money from rental property. I know another devotee, he works a little bit. His father gave him a rental property that gives him some rental income. So he told me, he said, I only have to work three hours a day. And the rest of the time, he's engaged in studying Prabhupada's books and the books of the Acharyas and preaching. Because I once asked him, how do you have so much time? You have a family, you have a wife, you have a child. How do you have so much time to preach and to study the Shastra? Hours and hours and hours every day, probably like 10 hours a day. And he says, oh, I only have to work three hours a day. And then I'm sure we know other people who have two or three jobs and they're living in poverty. Do we know people like that? Two or three jobs and they're, they're, I mean, they're in poverty. They're always in want, isn't it? They just never have enough money. They live in a very poor house, poor run-down house. They can't afford practically anything for their family. They never see their family because they're working so hard. So we can also say, oh, morality was for dharma. Make an arrow from that going up. What you put for dharma, that goes up. Yeah, that goes there. Okay, so then under Artha, we can say equal work, equal plans, yields different results. And even plan making. 
I'm sure we know people who went to graduate school, they have a business degree, they learned all about how to make good plans, and they're just driving a taxi, right? Or waiting tables in a restaurant. Do we know people like this? They have a master's, PhD, they know all about plans, they make excellent, excellent plans. Actually, I had some really funny experience years ago in the Hare Krishna movement that there were some devotees who said, well, Ramila, we'll fund your education projects, but we want you to make a business plan. So I made a business plan. And then, well, we haven't had time to look at it. Oh, we haven't had time to look at it. Oh, now we go, oh, make this change, make this change. And I was spending months just writing business plans. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm not getting any service done. I'm just writing business plans, hoping someone's going to give me some money for some service. Forget all this. I'm just going to start doing some service. So, you know, you can make plans and plans and plans. and You can be expert in making plans. Okay. Similarly, in the matter of sense gratification, sometimes one who has sufficient food is still not happy in his family affairs. Or sometimes not even married. So sufficient food means the person has enough money, but their family life is unhappy. Do you know people like this? They're very rich, they have all the things we were told in school. If you have this, then you'll attract a, a nice romantic partner and you'll be very happy. Right? All the advertisements are like that. The big house, the big car, with the beautiful woman, the handsome man, and the intelligent children, right? And the dog, of course. Not <laughs> the dog. So we see the people, they have this, this gorgeous, gorgeous house. Do we all know somebody like this? Beautiful house, fancy car, you know, Beamer, Jaguar, whatever. Flat screen TV in every room. And their family life is miserable. Sometimes I stay with people like this when I travel, you know. Sometimes I stay in ashrams like here. Sometimes I stay in people's homes. And I've stayed in these gorgeous homes, dripping with wealth, you know. Everywhere, just, just the walls are dripping wealth. You look around and you're like, okay. And the mood in the house is just like, get me out of here. Now you're going to Or just like you're in a deep freezer. You ever been in a house where you feel like you went into a deep freezer? Everyone's just... <laughs> Sure, we can go to the program tonight, Prabhu, if you want. It's a little chilly in this house. Maybe you have your aircon set a little too low. So they may not be happy in their family affairs. Right, and of course, wasn't it the the richest guy in the world just had an affair? Right? Right, the richest guy in the world. Isn't it? So, you know, we're told in school, so if, if, you know, if you have enough money, you have enough wealth, I mean, his wife's getting a good deal. She's getting like $69 billion out of the divorce. But she'd probably rather have her husband. I hope she'd rather have her husband than $69 billion. But, you know, the, the fact is that we see so many examples of people, they have great wealth, and they're not happy in their sense of education. So I said, not happy in family affairs, or sometimes not even married was becoming more and more common in modern society 
People are getting to be 30, 35, 40, 45, and they're still not even married. Isn't it? It's happening to our devotees also. Would you like to be married? Sure, but there isn't anybody. I know one devotee, like 45 years old, very handsome man, and he's really, really handsome. He could be on a, on a par with movie stars. Inherited millions of dollars from his parents. Very, very wealthy, very handsome, very intelligent, very educated, very nice devotee. And he's still not married. He wants to be married. At 44 years old. Do we all know people like this? Right? They're physically attractive. They have money. They're nice people. It's like, why? But they're not even married. Or they're in an unhappy marriage. So, we can have under comma that rich people can still be unhappy. Whereas another person, even though not economically well off, has the greatest opportunity for sense gratification. Do we know people like this too? Do we know people, they're really poor, they don't have much, but wow, are they happy in their family life. Do we know people like this? Yeah. I know many people like this. They don't have very much at all. They're living very, very, very simply. They eat very simply, a very simple house. They don't have much money, a very humble job. But the relationship between husband and wife is so sweet, just the opposite. You know, you go into their house, you feel like you're in the middle of a rascula. <laughs> You know, and the children are respectful, and the children are well-behaved. Right? So we can also say that. Poor people can be very happy. Yeah, we all know unhappy rich people and happy poor people, isn't it? I don't know, so why do we keep believing this propaganda? Then Prabhupada goes really extreme. Even an animal like a hog or a dog may have better opportunities for sense gratification than a human being. Hey? Don't we know some animals who have better sense gratification than some people? Definitely. That's really sad. By the way, Proper would lament that. He would say in Kali Yuga, people are so unfortunate. They don't get a proper job. They don't get married. They don't have a proper home. And there's an animal living better than they live. It is very, very, very unfortunate. Aside from liberation, okay, so Prabhupada's not going to talk about liberation here, so we'll have to just decide. What did the theists say? Is a, would they say about how can we know that there's a God in terms of liberation? We're going to have to decide this because Prabhupada puts it aside in the purport. Hmm? <coughs> Merge to the effulgence? Well, there's some theists who say that, but I don't know if that's like a general theistic view. Go to heaven. Go to heaven, which they consider a kind of liberation. So I think that most theists would say that it's God's grace that you go to heaven. They either have to earn heaven, either have to earn your liberation or by grace. So you could say earn or grace. But they certainly believe in liberation. It's one of the main things that theists believe is they believe in some kind of liberation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
I mean, even Buddhists have some sort of idea of liberation. And either you have to earn it or you get some grace. Thank you so much. Okay. Aside from liberation, even if we consider only the preliminary necessities of life, dharma, art, and karma, religion, economic development, and sense gratification, we will see that they are not the same for everyone. Therefore, it must be accepted that there is someone who determines the different standards. In conclusion, not only for liberation must one depend on the Lord, but even for ordinary necessities in this material world. Preacher Maharaj therefore indicated that in spite of having rich parents, children are sometimes not happy. Similarly, in spite of valuable medicine administered by a competent physician, sometimes a patient dies. Or in spite of having a big safe boat, sometimes a man drowns. Prabhupada doesn't tell you where he's getting this from in this purport, but where is Prabhupada getting this from? Does anybody know? Who said this? We may thus struggle to counteract impediments offered by material nature, but our attempts cannot be successful unless we are favored by the Supreme Personality Although abominable persons like my father, Vena, the grandson of death personified, are bewildered on the path of religion, all the great personalities like those mentioned agree that in this world the only bestower of the benedictions of religion, economic development, sense gratification, liberation, or elevation to the heavenly planets is the supreme personality of God. So there's something Papa didn't discuss in this purport because it wasn't discussed in the verse. And what is that? He didn't talk about bhakti. He talked about regular theism. Now, are we interested in regular theism? No. At all, do we have any interest in regular theism? At all, any interest? We'll take a little bit of it, okay? He's going to have a theistic pickle on his plate. I think we're interested in it for the world because Varnashram is regular theism. That's what Varnashram is. We talked about uh, Ramanan Sambhada on, on Korpanima, where Mahaprabhu rejected Varnashram as external, but Ramananda Roy was quoting, this is the way to please God. So, are we going to be able to bring the whole planet to bhakti, do you think? That would be cool, but do you think we're going to be able to do that? Everyone in the planet to bhakti? I don't think so. But at least we can bring people to theism. And it's a fact that the inducements for theism is that, look, you're not going to make this just. What did, what did the atheists say? Right? Dharma, just be... What did the atheists say again? Just be, just be a moralist. And for Arta, they say what? Work hard and make plans. For Kama, be rich. And for Moksha, Forget about it. And if you're really into moksha, you can go for political or social moksha. You know, if you really have, really want to get liberated, then you can join a, some sort of a liberation movement, right? Overthrow the rich people, overthrow the men, overthrow the governments, or something. And you'll be liberated. Or sometimes overthrow your religion. <laughs> right? A devotee said to me how 
that they were at some event organized by devotees and someone there was playing John Lennon's song, Imagine. She said, why would any devotees play that song? So John Lennon in that song, he says, imagine there's no religions and no heaven or hell and people free from the constraints of religion and moksha, uh, they'll just all behave nicely. So get liberation from religion, the atheists will also say. So we can say to the theists, uh, it doesn't work, folks. Whether you're, even if you're very moral, you may still what? Very moral people still what? Sin. Sin. Very moral people still sin. Uh-huh. A skeptic here sinning. Very moral people still suffer. Do we know moral people who suffer? Yes. People who make plans and work hard may still be poor. People who are very rich may still be unhappy. People who try to get liberated by their own effort may still fail. There must be some higher authority. Morality doesn't guarantee you happiness. Plans and hard work don't guarantee you wealth. Wealth doesn't guarantee you a happy family. And some liberation movement doesn't guarantee freedom. You have to have the grace of God. That's what we say to the theists. Okay, so I'm assuming that all of us would like to be moral. Everybody would like to be moral? Yes? Would we like to live in a moral society? Okay, so how are we going, what are we going to do about this with, with bhakti? What's our idea about morality in bhakti? Now I'm going to write this. I'm going to have a problem with this. Okay, this will clip, yeah? Okay. Oh my goodness, this is like... This. Okay, so what is the morality for in is for a bhakta? What's our concept of dharma? Very nice, but that Prabhupada was quoting for here. Oh, but that's right here. Okay. Yes, can you give me that in like one or two English words? What, what is our concept of Dharma? Whoa. An aspiring gopi. Whatever the Lord wants, if He asks us to do moral or immoral activities. Alright, but you gotta be careful with that one. Okay, I don't think I want to put that on the flip chart. That's true. That's true. But generally, Krishna's going to ask you to do moral activities. Well, let's put it in another way that's not going to give people a license. We've had some trouble with this kind of, with that one, actually. We have, I mean, seriously. I can steal your flowers, it's for Krishna. <laughs> well, we have a lot of that stuff going on. So what, what's our idea? And I was guilty too, I mean, I'm not pointing finger at somebody else. So, what's, what's our idea of Dharma? Oh, you didn't hear him. 
And that was here. That was what Prabhupada quoted with, without the Sanskrit, with the purport. I guess to please the Lord, but I could be pleasing you over here. I don't know if you were here last night. We talked about friendship with the Lord. Were you here? Oh. And we talked about how Krishna said, you have to be both my devotee and my friend to understand the Bhagavad Gita. Could you try to please somebody without actually being their friend? Of course you could. Come on. Hasn't anyone ever tried to please you for some ulterior motive? I don't know what kind of lives you guys have had, but it's happening. <laughs> and I don't know if I should ask you if you've ever tried to please somebody for some ulterior motive, but I've also done that. So you can be devoted to someone and you can try to please them and you can follow all their rules. Right? And if you have kids, come on, haven't your kids ever done that? I clean my room. Can I have the candy now?
you might not even personally have any interest in romantic business, but you, you have a friend and, and they're getting married and you see they're happy and you feel happy, isn't it? Yes. You're happy at their happiness. We all have some idea like that. Alright, what's our bhakti idea of artha? Okay. There's a nice verse where Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu talks about what is artha. It's in the very, very last chapter of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. It says, Premadana, being an artha, Dharidra Jivana, any group of Bengalis, I am so sorry for what I'm doing to your language. Dasa Kori, Vedhanori, Deha Premadana. Sorry, Bengali with a New York accent. Premadana, prema means love, dana, wealth, vina, without. Premadana, vina, viarta, useless. Daidra, jivana. Your life is poor if you don't have the arta of the wealth of love. Dasa kori, please make me your dasa, make me your... Servant, Vaitan, salary, Vaitan, Mori, Premadana. Please give me the salary of love of God. Sometimes we talk about whether or not devotees should get paid a salary. So the answer is definitely yes. Lord <laughs> 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 Chaitanya says, give me Vaitan, give me a salary. <laughs> That's our wealth. And if we don't have that wealth, we are very, very poor indeed. That's our karma and bhakti. To please the Lord, to please the Lord's senses, right? Oh, something else I should put here. And Prabhupada talks about this as a way to counteract ordinary karma, but he says make plans for preaching. Remember we talked about people there making plans, right? Over here. Should have been here. Make plans for a card. So here we also make plans. We're going to put that on both Arta and Kama. But instead of making plans for how we're going to enjoy the world and manipulate everybody to give us money for useless things, we're going to make plans as to how we can give everybody Pramadana. Okay? And what's our moksha? Uh, this is fun. We deride moksha. Okay, we deride sayuja moksha. What's our moksha? You're talking about the means, but what is it? 
What is our sadhya? You're all talking about this, sadhana. What's our sadhya? So our idea of liberation is that we don't care about liberation because we have no attachment or aversion to the world. We see Krishna everywhere. So if you see Krishna everywhere, then you don't really care where you are. You're actually already liberated. Prabhupada would say that the, the devotees in that state, to them, there's no difference between the material world and the spiritual world. They actually don't perceive a difference. They look at the material world and they see the spiritual world. Such devotees don't even care what kind of body they're in. They don't care if they're in the body of an insect. They actually don't care. To them, it's just the same. If I'm in the body of an insect, but I'm always absorbed in Krishna consciousness, it doesn't matter. So their liberation is a the liberation for the bhakti is a liberation of consciousness, where you see Krishna everywhere, and therefore it externally becomes irrelevant. Whether you're in a heavenly planet, a hellish planet, wherever you are, it's just irrelevant. Liberation is compared to just some maidservant standing there saying, can I do anything for you? It's like, well, I don't really need you, I already have you. So, questions, comments, additions, subtractions? Marge, do you have anything you'd like to add? Some insight on this verse and purport you could share with us? <laughs> well, when we, have, when we have these long, kind of technical purports, people tend to, tend to just sort of sleep through them. It's almost like a systematic uh, endeavor to sometimes introduce religion for the achievement of the uh, material purposes mm. in some cases. Yes. It's almost like systematic. Mm. Yes. Yes, indeed. And sometimes we also are guilty of buying into that. You know. Yes. However, we have to be careful because, on the one hand, we do support theism. It's not like we're against theism. But we don't want to buy into just the theistic mentality. Any other thoughts you'd like to share with us? How can we help break theism? What can I do? What can we do? And not bring theism to the bhakti level. Ah, how can we help bring theism to the bhakti level? I, I personally believe that. Uh, our, our mission is to revive the bhakti, to bring out the bhakti in all the world's traditions. 
Not that necessarily we're going to get everybody to identify externally with this kind. I think that's not a very doable uh, goal. Not try to change their culture. Sometimes you can try to change the culture. Yeah, I don't think we, we, we need to change all the elements of the culture, but we need to remind people that the origin of their tradition is about bhakti. You know, Jesus said that to love, to love God, that's the essence. And then you have, and it's interesting, he said, if you love your father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. And yet most Christians are going around preaching just ordinary theism and ordinary dharma, really, in Rajagun. And it's the same in all the world's traditions. And it's a, it's a, it's a place where we can go in Iskand, too, and, and there are people in our movement who are going in that direction. You know, I mean, I, I've heard people just preach out and out karmakanda. So to just be always reminding people, no, that's not the goal. The goal isn't to use God to try to be happy without Him, kind of. You know, we're not trying to use God for our own selfishness. And that's not going to make us ultimately happy anyway. So I think it's just a constant reminder that this is the, the real goal is a loving relationship with the personal God. And we can say to people, hey, it's in your tradition. It's right there. Look, here's the verse. Yes? I feel also, more importantly, it's also your association. Oh, yes. If they see the bhakti in you, then they'll try and see it in their tradition. Mm. When we work with interfaith, it's surprising how people actually appreciate Hare Krishna philosophy, Vedic philosophy, and can then see it in their own tradition. Oh. And uh, it's quite astounding. Even people, like an archbishop or something, when you describe different things about the nature between us and Krishna, they can relate to that in their tradition and it adds something to them and they appreciate it. Thank you. That's, that's very profound. Because that is the touchstone, right? Sadhusanga. I mean, we know of people who have stayed in their own religious tradition and also taken up Krishna Bhakti. And I know several such people. They're still living as a Catholic monk or Catholic priest or a Muslim imam or a Jewish rabbi, but they're also chanting 16 miles offering their food and so forth. Anybody else have a comment, question? Yes. Mataji, like in doing your course of meeting people and preaching, we come across um, some people who are like demigod worshippers and they are so ardent in their worship, um, uh, say that okay, whatever we are just doing for that particular demigod. So how do we address them in this? Put them in the We say, all right, it's very nice you're worshipping this demigod. Do you know what the best thing to ask of the demigod is? Are you sure you're asking this, this god for the right thing? What are we supposed to ask the demigods for? More strength to serve Krishna? Devotion to Krishna? You can ask the demigods for that. I was just in Penang in Malaysia 
and the, it's basically a Muslim country, then they allot a certain area for non-Muslim places of worship. So we have our Iskan temple, and right next to that, there's a Murgan temple, and right next to that, there's a Buddhist shrine, and then next to that, there's a Sikh place. I mean, next to that, there's Christians, all these places. So I, I, I went and visited all the places that were open, which was early in the morning, which was only the places connected to the Vedic tradition. Any place not connected to the Vedic tradition didn't open until 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock in the morning. Just a little side comment there. But, you know, so I went to the place next door, and there's, there's a deity of Kartikeya. They had also had this deity of this big snake. And I said, who's that? And they said, oh, that's the snake that's around Lord Shiva's neck. And then they had a deity of Saturn with his two wives. So that was also interesting. So, yeah. Going in, there's Saturn with his consorts, and then there's Kartikeya, Rogan, and then there was, uh, what was the Nadineshwari or something, the Virgin the Snake. So I offered my respects to them, and I said, please give me Krishna Bhakti. When you read in Chaitanya Charitamita, when Lord Chaitanya went around India, he went into demigod temples, yes? Yes? I was just reading that this morning. He went into demigod temples, so we respect the demigods. Why not? He danced in ecstasy in the demigod temples. He danced in ecstasy in the demigod temples, yeah. They're devotees. They may not all be pure devotees, but they're all devotees. Responsible positions that they have in service to Krishna. So you tell the demigod worshippers, very nice, so happy you're worshiping this demigod, but you need to ask them for the best thing. You're not asking them for the best thing. You know, like if you go in a shop and you say, and I used to shop for devotees in India, I'd say, bring me your best quality cloth. They bring me something, and I don't think that's your best. Do you have something better? You know, they're not sure how much you want to pay, right? So. Sometimes you have to ask three or four times. You're so better, you're so better, you're so better. Okay? Okay, thank you very much. Oh, you have a question? We'll take one more, then we need to stop. How can we become distracted and make Varnashram a bigger priority? Um, I heard somebody say, from the Asasan, that you can't really take up bhakti until you're a good wife. First you have to be a good wife, and then you can take up bhakti. Is that a sufficient example? No. Is that a sufficient example? Do you think that's true? Do you think before you can chant Hare Krishna first, you have to be a good wife? Does anybody think that's true? No. Okay, unmarried women can chant Hare Krishna. And even if you're a shrewish wife, you can still chant Hare Krishna. Even if you're a terrible wife and you just, you know, nag your husband all day long, you can still chant Hare Krishna. You're not prohibited. 
Okay? You're still allowed to come to the temple. We don't have someone who stands at the door. Will you nice to your husband today? Did you smile at your children today? Are you working according to your nature? (laughs) Sorry, I can't come in. So what's your nature? Oh, I actually have a rabbinical nature. Well, what are you doing? I'm making tables get out of here. Go get a job as a university professor, then you can come into Chen Do we do that? What's the purpose of our ashram? Why, why do we care about it at all? It regulates our lives. It regulates lives. It's easier to engage in bhakti when your livelihood is in accord with your nature and when you're in the ashram suitable for your age and psychology. It's a lot easier. But bhakti's not dependent on that. Bhakti's not dependent on anything but bhakti. The prostitute who wanted to make Haridas Thakur fall down and ruin his reputation, she didn't engage in varnashram. She just went right to bhakti. The, 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 Mugari, the hunter, he didn't do any varnashram activities. He didn't do any proper varna. I mean, he was married, so he had his ashram. But he went right to bhakti. That prostitute didn't do any proper varna or ashram. She just went right to bhakti. So bhakti's not dependent. You can be thrice divorced and working in an occupation that's not your nature and you can still become pure devotee. You really can. Now, we don't suggest that people work in occupations not their nature and get thrice divorced. That's not our recommended process. So it's nice if you can have a situation where materially you're peaceful. It's just like if you get prasadam that you like, it's easier to execute Christian consciousness. But can you execute Christian consciousness if the only prasadam you're given are things you don't like? Yes, you can. One time when I was traveling, the devotees, I was traveling with my oldest grandson, who I brought here. One time when we were traveling, the devotees before we left gave us this prasada that was literally inedible. I mean, it was just inedible. The japanis were like rubber, you couldn't even chew them. And the sanji was just, well, it was so inedible, we were sitting on the plane just laughing. <laughs> that we didn't know it was possible to make anything that was that inedible. But we didn't stop chanting Hare Krishna just because we were fasting. Okay? Is that alright? So, it's helpful. It's like, why do we put energy into building a temple, having a temple? It's helpful. Do we need a temple to be Krishna conscious? No. We don't. But it's very helpful. I don't think we want to sit out in the rain. You know, we could just like put up a tent or something. But people would be distracted. They'd be distracted by the rain and the, the rain would be coming in. You ever go to like a festival like that, you know, and there's just a tent? 
and then it's raining and the rain is coming and it's blowing and you're all getting wet and you're trying to listen to the class and you can't because you know, you're just distracted. But it's not necessary. Is that okay? Thank you very much. Thank you.